This is Karen Rand, the Compassionate Capitalist, to talk today about the art of raising capital. Just to give you a little quick snapshot of my background, because that's always important to know if you're tuning in for the first time listening to the Compassionate Capitalist radio show. Why do you care what Karen Rand has to say? Well, you know, besides the education and economics of my undergrad and my MBA from University of Florida, Go Gators, I spent 13 years in the corporate world working with a lot of new innovative companies and industries and always being at the forefront of being an entrepreneur within the corporate structure of a big company. And then dove into the capital raising side of the business in 2001 when I left IBM to go work with one of my clients to raise capital. And um, if you say January 2001, well, quite frankly, that was when my little bubble got popped because, of course, in IBM I thought that I knew how to raise capital. I knew everything about the capital markets. My nickname was the deal maker because I helped companies get everything together so they could go out and get VC money and come back and spend it with IBM. And uh, in reality, I, there was so much more to learn. I got plugged into the network of business, Angels and Investors, and the founder of that, Jerry Martin, mentored me and helped me learn the whole structure of how angel investors work. I started working with him sort of as a right-hand gal to do the follow-ups and meet with the investors, and I just was astonished. I went to every venture capital event, any kind of event there was out there where there was panelists talking about raising capital, meeting with investors, asking them, why did you invest in this deal? Why didn't you invest in this other deal? Meeting with all different types of capital, you know, sources from alternative lenders, trade finance to private equity funds, in search of information and was amazed at how what a variety was up there and how even though I had been exposed to a lot of this, I didn't know about it, so then entrepreneurs don't know about it. And along the way we started Launch Funding Network, launchfn.com as the consulting services group to really help companies figure out how to go after capital, what's the right kind of capital, so they don't waste time and money going after the wrong kind of capital. And been very successful in that since 2005 in connecting up dozens of companies with capital for their business and many more that uh, just have used our training and our techniques to go out and raise capital within their own networks. We have a passion for entrepreneurism, compassionate capitalists. What I've named the show is because that's what we are. We put time and money into helping companies be successful just like investors do. And so one of the things that becomes very apparent to me every time I work with a new company that's trying to reach out to investors is that nobody's born with the skill of raising capital. People just, they don't know how to do that. It's not something you're taught in school. It's not something that you're just natural. You know, there's a whole debate on whether an entrepreneur is born or bred. And, you know, there's a certain fire you have in your belly to be an entrepreneur. But when it comes to raising capital, it's completely different. It's just amazing to me, too, how really strong uh, entrepreneurs who can be very dominant in certain areas. When it comes to raising capital, it's like they fall apart. So we said, you know what, we've got to really get very good at educating these entrepreneurs and improving their ability to raise capital. And, of course, you have to start at the seed level because all along the way, if you can master the art of raising capital, you can do anything you want in your business. I mean, you can do anything in any business, and it really is sort of the secret to success of, of building a business. I mean, yes, there's the fundamentals of having a business and a business model that works and, you know, all of those kind of things that, that come along, but 
when it comes to raising capital, your understanding of the capital language, your ability to position the business properly, whether it's going to a lender or going to an investor, you know, it's all, really all kind of part of the same. You're going to learn a great deal just in this hour, and you can only imagine if you learn something in this hour on this, on this radio show listening, how much will you learn when you come and spend three or four hours with us? I'm interrupting myself. I'm interrupting this podcast I recorded because I realized I was talking about all these great things about how to create an elevator pitch, what types of investors there are, all the different aspects that we do in the Entrepreneur Capital Mastery Program. And the way you find out about that information is go to karenrands.co and there's links there on the main page that'll take you to it but you can also go to the bottom sign up for the compassionate capitalist coffee break there's a little tips that i send out in an email or go to the contact page and fill that out and put in the comments that you want to know about the entrepreneur capital mastery program and then when you get your reply back on it there's a link in the email with a schedule an appointment with me for a free advisory session and we'll talk about whether this is the right program for you or how do we tailor it whether it's an individual coaching or group coaching to fit your specific needs and where you are in raising capital now from startup all the way through to growth stages and now back to my recording thanks for listening now, every entrepreneur should know what an elevator pitch is. In all their lives, as, as being a salesperson or a professional in this field or that field, nobody ever really helped them to understand what you have to do with an elevator pitch. And I'm, I'm working with one of our clients right now and helping them put their elevator pitch together. The main thing that you have to understand, the reason why, what an elevator pitch did, they didn't get the elevator pitch when the investor or who you're talking to, if your elevator pitch goes for five minutes and they start looking around the room, you are no longer doing an elevator pitch. I wrote on my blog a pretty good article about elevator pitches and video examples of good elevator pitches. But, you know, here's the thing. The whole goal of an elevator pitch is it is your appetizer for what is to come. It is giving them a taste of the opportunity. It is not an opportunity to fire hose them with a bunch of information. It is an opportunity for you to whet their appetite to what they want to do. The best thing which you want to have happen when you finish your elevator pitch, they go, really, tell me more. If they say, really, tell me more, then you did a good job. If they say, oh, that's really nice, you know, I think they just put out uh, some new food on the buffet line, I'll catch you later, you know, <laughs> or I got to go, you know, I got to go find the ladies' room, you know, the men's room or something like that. If they make an excuse to get away from you, then you did not do a good job on your elevator pitch because I, even if they're not an investor, the other thing that's supposed to happen with your elevator pitch is you just don't know whether whoever you're talking to, whether you're at the soccer game for your kids, you're at a chamber meeting, you're at church, you're at an investor event, whoever you're talking to and they say, hey, so what do you do? Ding, that's when you deliver your elevator pitch in 30 to 30 seconds, 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds. With the goal for them, their eyes to brighten up, they go, really, tell me more, because you just don't know if they're the investor, if they know an investor, they know a strategic relationship of somebody you can, they can introduce you to that's going to help you take your business to the next level. But if you drone on and you're the only one talking, then it's not working. 
because they got they, they, they are so wore out they don't even want to ask a question because they're afraid that you're going to talk for another 10 minutes. So here's what you got to do. You get, your elevator pitch has to introduce your business in a very usually by identifying the problem that you're solving, giving them something to relate to. Hey, you know about such such, or have you ever experienced such such, or you know something like that. Well, my company X Y Z solves that problem in this way, we're changing the way things are being done, and we're going to be a XYZ company in a couple of years. We're going to be how big we're going to be, okay? You're solving a problem. You give them something to relate to. You're solving the problem, and then you're talking about where you're going with it. And that's what you got to do in an elevator pitch. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and then you stop, and you let them ask a question. Then you get to talk about everything else. But don't feel like, you know, sometimes these guys will talk so fast because they're trying to get everything in before they lose you. Well, and all they're really doing is kind of, have you ever, you know, tried to feed pigeons? If you run after them, they run away. But if you just toss them a couple of seeds, what do they do? They come closer and closer, and that's what you're doing with your elevator pitch. So that's the first thing we're going to do is crafting and perfecting the elevator pitch. The next thing you have to understand is what the different types of investors are. There are... There are different types of investors that vary according to the different stages of your business. And you must understand the type of investor you're targeting depending on the stage of your business. And so one of the things that we'll go through during this session is talking about the different types of investors. So, for example, you know, if you're at the concept stage of business, you need to be able to raise anywhere from $100,000 to $300,000 and we call it balance sheet money. This is money that is going to go to bolster your balance sheet so that you can pay for the things you need to do, for your prototype, for your legal fees, for your fees to go travel around and meet with investors, to hire whatever consultants you need to flush your business model out or to open up doors or you know, whatever it is you need, and so that you can be focused, you as the entrepreneur can be focused 100% on your business, okay? If you start from the get-go, yeah, you want to bootstrap, $100,000 should be able to last you a long time because you're only paying for the things that you absolutely need to pay for, and you should be able to, and one of the things that we teach, we have a coaching package specific to this, teaching you how to go out into your friends and family or an affinity group. Now, the first thing that people always say when I talk about friends and family, i got no rich friends and I, I don't have any rich family. Well, yeah, that's probably the case. Or they feel funny asking for money from their friends and family. They feel like they're asking for a handout. But instead, they're willing to go out to a stranger they've never met before in their entire life and they believe that they're going to make millions and millions of dollars in this business. They're going to offer a stranger an opportunity to become incredibly wealthy with them rather than somebody they know. It just flies in the face of reason. You know, you, you have to understand, and, and if you're hesitant about that, what's wrong is what's between your ears. You've mentally gone through into a mode where you're letting this negative self-speak and I've got part of what we do in our coaching program, we've tapped into some things that I've learned myself, and I'm, I'm using some of the tips that Blair Finger brings out called Little Voice Mastery that I picked up from the Sales Partners Coaching Program because they're so awesome. And I and use that, but apply it towards the raising capital because you've got to master what's going on between your ears. That's part of the art of mastering raising capital is mastering your what goes on between your ears. 
that there's a functional part of what we do when it comes to making sure your business plan, your messaging, and your model is right. And then there's the glue that puts it all together, and that's what's going on in your head. And so you've got to figure out, and there's a process. It's also where you lose your greenness. You're no longer a wimp when it comes to raising capital. If you've had to go out and have a lot of conversations with friends and family and people like that to, get, to find the folks that would be your affinity group. So what's an affinity group? These are the subjective investors. These are people that want to see you succeed. When I did my radio show with the author of Fool's Gold, and the research that he did as a result of the Kauffman Foundation paying him to do this research, a large part, like probably 70% of the capital that goes into early stage companies or startup companies are not people that think of themselves as angel investors. They are an affinity group that want to see you be successful or they want to see that product get to market where they would not have been able to see that product get to market without you. One of the, the saddest things about my business and what I do is so much innovation that I see that comes across our desk that never gets to market because the entrepreneur would not get out of the way of their ego to get that product to market in how they work with the investors, how they approach the market itself, the advice and counsel that they seek and if they listen to you. It's just it's sad sometimes to see some of these things, and it's their, their hopes and their dreams, you know, that just don't seem to, to get there. You have to understand this and the affinity group, and that's a big part of what we work on is understanding your role in their business. When you look for an active investor that's going to take an active role in your business versus passive investors, when you get to the next round, when you're in that startup to early stage and you're raising anywhere from half a million to $3 million, it's an official A round, you've got a legal structure of an offering that you're doing, you may still go through some friends and family because if you can find an affinity group, a friends and family group that just means that they have an emotional connection to you, it will always be the, the easiest money to raise versus going out to strangers and these angel groups and individual angels that have a much higher threshold of what they think is a valid business because they are in the business of investing. And ironically, entrepreneurs don't understand this. They look at it and say, you know what? They look at five deals trying to decide which one or two they're going to invest in. The only way that they can decide that is to look for reasons not to invest. I was riding in the cab with one of our investors and advisors, and he was talking about how part of their decision. His spouse, who is a, a forensic accountant, she looks for reasons not to invest. And that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's just a reality because the, every entrepreneur, every entrepreneur, what do they say? My business is the best. My business is going to make you so much money. Invest in my business because my business is going to be great. And we're going to be this big old thing and all this stuff, right? And so every company says it. So you so put your investor hat on. Every company you see says the same thing. And so the only way to decide is to narrow it down is to look where the holes are, the gaps are. And that's why we do our business plan review program. People think, you know, sometimes they say, oh, well, you know, I, I paid $1,000 to have my business plan. So have you, how much money have you raised with it? If you haven't raised a half a million dollars with your business plan and you've been out in front of investors, there's something wrong with it. And nobody's telling you what's wrong with it. And that's why we have an impartial third-party person do it. And I just got a review back from, from one of the companies that we're starting to work with. And uh, it was quite interesting, the stuff that was uncovered. And I am certain she had no idea. Uh, that this stuff was missing in her business plan. So 
we'll be doing that review later on. One of the things these guys are looking for when you get into, and this is where you have to understand, and we'll cover this as part of our session, the secret role of the business plan and the four questions that must be answered in order to garner investor interest, okay? There's four elements that must be in your business plan if you are to be successful in raising capital or just getting their interest. There's a whole other level of complexity of what makes them actually stroke the check, even if you've answered these four questions, and we'll cover some of that as well, but, there's, you, will, but you need to understand the role of the business plan. So when an investor, and when you're dealing with people that you've never met before, you pitch them at an event or you're at any of these kind of conferences where you have an opportunity to pitch investors, you know, you don't know those, those people. They don't know you. There's two things that they look at as part of their, why would I not invest in this company? One is the four questions. I'll get to this in just a second. But they also, one of, another reason why you have to raise a seed round is because it is a validation to, of your business in two ways. First of all, if you have put 20, 30, 40,000 of your own money in and now you're going out to raise a million dollars and your first stop is strangers, they think, these strangers think this. They'll never say it, but they'll think it. And you're going to have to just trust me on this because I've asked probably 100 investors this question, okay? What does it mean if an, a company has not been able to raise seed capital? And they say it means one of two things. Either there's something about that entrepreneur, their ethics, their work ethic, there's something about them that makes those people around them not trust them to give them, to risk their capital with it. You know, $100,000, 10 people at $10,000 a piece, okay? That 10 people out of all the people they know, and unless you're, you're 15 years old, you know people. You know people through your extended network, and you can find the people that have a subjective connection to you. So there's something wrong with them, and I just met them. Or the second thing is that entrepreneur lacks the guts to go out there and ask for the money from within an affinity group because it's scary to ask for money from people you know. He said, so if that's the case, that means they lack what is necessary to build a multi-million dollar business because they won't be able to do the stuff that is makes a tough call when it's time to make a tough call. That's like, wow, oh, my God, do you really think that? Is that really what they're thinking? So you have to raise a seed round, and you need to be able to do it on your own, and we can teach you how to do it, and it sets the stage for you to be able to do these other things. And once you've done that, you are so much more effective when it comes to talking to these sophisticated business angels that are in the business of investing. All right, and then we'll go on through the other three group, three stages of business and, and the types of investors that get involved in each of those as we, you know, work through this workshop. So. Let's continue on and talk about the what the secrets are in a business plan. I, I have a, I did a, a segment on an internet TV show covering this uh, topic. The secret, and this is the thing that's really kind of funny. I think most companies go through the process of doing a business plan because they feel like they're doing they haven't turned in a term paper in school or something. It's a chore that they got to do, and they're just doing it because everybody says they got to have a business plan. So they go out and they buy a template or they pay somebody to do it for them and they go out and do a business plan, you know. But they don't understand what's the real purpose of the business plan. The business plan is a blueprint for your business. 
And even still, there's hundreds of thousands of businesses that are started every year without any business plan. We have companies that come to us that are seeking capital, and they have not yet written a business plan. And you, the business plan serves so many functions along the way. The very first thing it does, and just the, the simplest for it, thing, is to decide whether you should even try that business. Is it even worth the amount of effort, time, and money that's going to go into being it, making it successful, or should you do something else? I mean, every big company out there, when they get ready to launch a new division or launch a new product, they do a business plan. They do an assessment on whether that new strategy or new product will be successful in the marketplace. They even do it, right? So why wouldn't you as a startup company do it just to see whether you should even start up? And then the second thing it has to do is it's got to be able to convey to that, that friends and family seed round, you know, the, the value, the passion, the vision of what it is. You may not have all the answers in there because you're starting up, but you've got to, you've got to, it's got to be compelling. And it's a blueprint for you to chart where you're going and know what you're missing. And when you know what you're missing, then you know what kind of team you need to put in place to go figure out or who you need to hire, why you're raising $100,000 so you can go hire some guru marketing person to, to you know, develop or a manufacturing person to put your manufacturing plan in place and you're not doing it in a vacuum. And so it's a blueprint for you to build your business, right? It's so important for you to understand that. And one of the things that if you think about it, if you imagine if you would, what you put on a business plan on the paper, what you put on your paper came true. Yet, if it broke one of the universal laws of successful business, and there are universal laws of successful business, hundreds of books are written every year, going through the universal laws of successful businesses. Coaches, business coaches make tons of money teaching entrepreneurs the, the, how to effectively execute on the universal laws of successful business. And they are truly that way. Every business has to have them. And so many entrepreneurs, for some reason, think that they can only have three of them. <laughs> Or they just half of one or something. It's just really quite amazing because it's what predicts whether a company will be successful or not. So say your business plan is the written manifestation that your business is going to be is what it's going to do. And that whatever you write down on your in your business plan comes true. It is a manifestation and it will come true. But if you break one of these universal laws of successful business, then you go poof up in flames, right? I think it's all it'd make a great Twilight Zone episode where, you know, Frank's walking down the street, there's Joe on the other side, or Mary's walking down the street and there's, you know, Susan on the other side. So, hey, they're waving, you know, there are two business owners there and all of a sudden Sue goes poof up in flames or Joe goes poof up in flames. They're like oh, wow, they must have broken one of the universal laws of successful business. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting show? So, anyway, what are these questions? The thing is that the law this is forgiving to a certain degree, and you're able to not have one of these laws in place. You're given sort of an amount of time to get it fixed in order to be successful, to stay long enough to get it right. <clears throat> so, the business plan is more than just words on the paper. It is your blueprint to become successful. And it is a living, breathing document that must be maintained and fine-tuned until all the universal laws of successful businesses are answered.
for example, of these four unspoken, one of the very first things that need to be in there is the why are you doing it? Why are you doing this? Okay? You know, the whole thing that investors want to know, what you need to know, you've got to understand what your end goal is, and you've got to understand what's the need in the marketplace that you're satisfying. And so that that's all kind of tied up in that why are you why are you doing it? Because, you know, the first, le- first level, you know, what's the motivation? It's got to be worth the work. Is it for the ego or the money? You know, I think Shark Tank is a great TV show that really shows this where um, entrepreneurs are given the opportunity to get their business to market. But to, all too often they let their ego get in the way when one of the sharks offers them up a deal. And it's a difference between a rich founder and a poor CEO is understanding if you've got a product that is going to the market that's going to satisfy some fundamental need in the marketplace, then you need to get out of the way of doing that. Make sure you have a good team. Make sure you get some good advisors on board. Make sure you do what's necessary for getting the money to be able to get to that next level and get it done. Because obviously protect your interest in it, but if you lack the experience, at being, you know, highly successful in that particular field, then you need to build your team and you need to understand that, okay? So the, so what is your motivation in that process? And the second level is why are you doing it? It's a need in the marketplace. How will the world be a better place because you brought this innovation to market? You know, this is where you get all the stuff about your market opportunity, your competition, who's going to buy it and why, your unique value proposition is not just your desire, but the marketplace needs. So that's the first of the four questions. One of the other questions that always has to be answered, and so many times it gets lost in the shuffle, is how are you going to put money in the cash register? And fundamentally, this goes to the real blueprint of your business, because at a high level, entrepreneurs will just say they're going to go sell it to so-and-so. It's 1.5% of this $4 billion market, and therefore we're going to make so much money, and that is not, that's not it. That doesn't work. That is one of those things that an, an investor looks at and says, not, this guy doesn't understand how he's going to market. He does not understand how he's going to sell this thing, how he's going to make it, how he's going to service it, whatever it is. He doesn't understand it. You know, and if you take the time to to truly get that flushed out, then and in the process you realize how much work you have to do in order to be successful. Now there will be investors that will invest in businesses because they didn't do that themselves. They fell in love with the vision, they fell in love with it, and they don't understand that this guy doesn't really have a good go to market, a real rapid deployment to market. And, or a real niche or twist in the way that they're doing it. And they'll invest, and then that company won't raise all the capital that they need because they didn't put a team together that helps them effectively do that. They didn't get the feedback, and they didn't listen to the people on what they needed in order to be successful in that business. That's why I've seen a lot of times there was a, a company that I saw because when I first started doing stuff with NBA and I was in this space, they had presented at, at one of the tag events that they used to do, venture capital events. And then I saw him present at NBA and I before I came into play. And I couldn't understand why they weren't getting any money. And I spoke with an investor that had looked at it but chose not to invest on it. And he explained to me, because they really didn't understand, this particular company created a, a device that when there was lightning, a pager system would notify and turn off the electronics based on this in order to save electronics. And the problem was that they were selling it to 
electrical companies who electrical companies could care less whether their clients lost their electrical equipment or not. You know what I mean? It was the wrong market. It was the wrong point of pain. And they stayed in the ATDC incubator for a while, got in that, and they finally got it figured out from people. They started listening. But in the meantime, I couldn't believe it when I talked to them. At the time that I talked to them, they, and I told them what the feedback from this investor was, that they were missing their mark and they needed to pay somebody to help them figure out how to get this to market properly. They've since done that. They're in the market now and are successful. But it took them about two years to figure out that because the, the ego was in the way of changing the business model. It was a business model that they started on. had nothing to do with the technology. The technology was great. But they eventually got it reassigned. They got a great guy that really knows the patents and IP and go to market to, to help them out. But in the meantime, I asked them, and they had spent like thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in finders, people chasing after money from them. They hired this guy. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was talking to him, and they, they committed to pay $10,000 to this guy to go find their money. And he was, I, it, was, it was such a scam. I was so, so bad for them. These guys were, and that's one of the reasons why we do what we do, we, the way we do it, because we just, you know, I'd rather you spend the $10,000 in hiring an expert that's going to fix your business model and get you more investable than go and just do a you know, dog and pony show and do this kind of stuff. You've got to have a business that can be invested in. And so that was one of theirs. They were, had a wrong business model. They finally figured it out. They had a broken, successful law of business, but they had fixed it, and now they're off to the races and doing great. It just took them a lot of money, a lot of bruised ego, until they finally um, recognized it and got the right people in place to help them fix it. So, you know, we're going to cover those things, those four questions are the things that have to be addressed in your business plan during our workshop. So the next thing is, is that the capital funnel. This is something that I talk about all the time with companies about, you know, it's, it's so funny, and I'll just continue this way without going into a lot of detail about it, but the capital funnel is very similar. Every entrepreneur understands the sales funnel. They understand filling the sales pipeline, and they can intrinsically understand how to get their business to that next level to be able to, to they, need, they understand how to get their customers through the sales pipeline to get them from being a prospect or suspect all the way through to being a buyer. Well, it's really no different. The capital funnel is your funnel of potential investors to buy private equity. You have to fill your funnel up. You have to have a strategy to fill your funnel up. And a, the Kukoran theory of private equity is a very simple formula to know how many you've got to fill up in your funnel. And this applies to angel investors. And so what we're going to do is we'll talk about this formula and what you have to do from how many check writers you have to have you know, really break it down, and how many in the course of the year or so it's going to take you to raise that capital, how many what we call sweethearts you're going to encounter that you think are going to invest, seem like they want to invest, make all the indications that they're going to invest, but for some reason don't. They just sit in the fence or stuck in the funnel someplace. And so what do you got to do to move them through the funnel? And then in order just to get those three sweethearts, how many people have to have seen your deal thought about your deal, at least looked at it enough to say, not for me, or send me more information, okay? And it's, it's only companies that fail to raise all the capital, this, this point of pain I have for these companies that don't get this innovation to market, is that they really don't understand the capital sales funnel and what they have to do. And so it could be that, I'll give it to you, 
to a certain degree, and I've talked about this on, on a number of other occasions on the radio show. I've got blog entries on it. The Cougar Ram Theory of Private Equity says for every investor that you have that strokes a check, for every one that will stroke a check, you're going to have three that you think will write a check at some point in time. They will have they said, oh, that's really interesting. Send me some information. I want to follow up with you. But to get to the three, 15 have to have seen it. That's okay. So okay, that's not a big deal, but then do the math. If the average investment of an individual investor that they're willing to work, and this is not just our group, this is a national national average, okay, in $25,000 and $35,000, sometimes $50,000. For somebody who's stroking a check for $100,000 or $150,000 at one time, they will have sat on the fence for a long time watching you be successful, which goes to the theory of Cougar's theory of private equity, how you move them through your funnel, which we'll cover in our workshop. But, so let's just do the math on that. So you, you're raising a million dollars in $25,000 increments. That's 40 check riders, okay? And so there are 40 check riders. Oh, I've got to get 40 check riders. Well, so at, at some point, you're going to have 120 that you thought were going to write a check for it. But to get to the 120, 600 have to have been exposed to it. And you're going, Karen, for real, man, don't even, there's no way. What are you talking about? You're crazy. I want to know every company that has been successful in raising capital with us and every company that has been successful raising capital someplace else, I ask them those numbers. I run those numbers by them. I say, would you say that's true? And they would say, yeah, you know, give or take, but definitely in the ballpark, okay? And there's always an exception to the rule because you get one big giant sugar daddy that, you know, does stroke the big checks, but they're not a typical investor. And they're doing it the over and beyond um, because of the relationship or somehow they're connected to you in a certain way. But for the most part, that is the formula when you get beyond your friends and family and you get to this other point of what you've got to do. And one of the big problems, the, the first problem is two reasons why people don't, aren't effective in moving investors through their capital funnel to actually raise all the capital the first one is they just simply do not talk to the rock investors. If you were going to go take your sale, go out there and sell your product, sell your widget, sell your software, you have a strategy. If you say, I, you know, I got to talk, I got to have 20 customers this year in order to you know, do a million dollars in revenue or whatever. I got to have 500 customers or a thousand customers, depending on what it is you're doing, to have a million dollars in revenue, and you back it up on your sales funnel. You would just know that that's what you had to do because everybody they understand it. It's fundamental. They they know it when it comes to the sales funnel. So why would a capital funnel for investors be any different? You're selling equity in your company. You're selling equity. You're selling your company. You're selling your product in one case. You're selling your, your equity in another case. And how you talk to the effectiveness of moving people through your funnel depends on how you message your offering to them depending on what their interests are and you satisfy their need just like you satisfy your client and prospect's need when it comes to your product. You have to satisfy the need of the investor when it gets to that point. And that's the first the first thing of moving it through, getting enough in there and then talking about I'll talk about it in the workshop we'll talk about how you move them through it. But the capital funnel, what it is, why it is important and how to make it work for you. And the next thing that we'll cover in, in the art of raising capital is pitching investors. What's the structure of a good investor pitch? What's the real goal of any investor pitch? <clears throat> I've you know, been in this space now since 2001, 
I've seen hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of presentations by investors. And even when I was up at the New York Forum and sitting there with these other investors and we turned to each other and they go, he didn't answer XYZ question. He didn't address this. He didn't address this other thing. He, whatever. I mean, it, they pick it up. They know it. You know, and you'd think anybody that's out there raising capital is successful, that they would be getting feedback from people so that they would know how to fix that because as they go through, and you end up doing 25, 30, 40 presentations to groups of investors over time, you get better and better and better. The only way you get better is by understanding what you're really trying to accomplish when you do your pitch, and then what is the information that really has to be in there. And I'll tell you the one thing that I see kill a good investor pitch all the time. This is the thing you want to avoid. Companies will take a sales pitch, and they try to turn it into an investor pitch. And the worst thing is when you have somebody that says, oh, you know, because they were out of the corporate world, oh, I've been doing presentations for 10 years. I know how to do a presentation. <laughs> well, you don't know how to do an investor presentation. I can tell you right there, I used to get snowed by that, and I let them go ahead and get up there and do the presentation. And then, you know, the investors would look at me and say, Karen, how come you didn't help that guy? And I say, well, he didn't want my help. Or they get up there and they say, Karen, you know, I know how to do this. I don't need your help. And it's like, and then they bomb. And they don't, of course, they don't blame themselves. They, they go, oh, Karen. they don't never say, Karen, God, I should have listened to you. I wish I had taken your advice. They blame the event. And uh, they get up there. And the worst one was this company. The guy was so certain he could do a great investor pitch. Did not want to review it with me. Did not want to do a dry run with me. Got up there. Walked away from the timer spent six minutes on one slide, and then when his timer went off, you know, going into all these details about his relationships with all these other things and this kind of stuff, it was like a sales pitch. And then when his buzzer went off, he had to fly through 10 more charts in like a minute and never really even got, when we, went, when we were doing the investor-only section at the end, you know, the fact that this guy had a major relationship with a major retailer that really put him out there, heads and shoulders above anybody else, had a huge barrier to entry, never got to it because he spent six minutes on a chart that had no relevance to what the investors cared about seeing and therefore bombed. And he was so irritated that he had bombed so bad, he wouldn't even network. I went up to him three times saying, okay, is there somebody I can introduce you to? Let me go. He goes, no, 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 I'm fine. And then he proceeded to, you know, say that it was not a good event because he didn't do the stuff. And then when I tried to help him out even further by giving him some access to the investors, he sent one email to the investors. He blew the capital funnel strategy. He sent one email to the investors on December 15th, and when they didn't reply back, he assumed that that meant none of them. He's never given them an update since then. He's never given them a milestone progress report. He's never gone back out there. He's never called them. So, you know, what? These are, these are fundamental to being successful in raising capital. The art of raising capital is to know what do investors want to hear about, and you give them the information that they want to hear, and you follow up, follow through until they say no. That's the fundamentals right there. Cat's out of the bag. So we're going to go through. There's a structure of a 10-minute presentation and a structure of a 6-minute presentation. We're going to cover that, and we're going to talk about what is it that you're really trying to accomplish 
when you get up and do the presentation. It's not what you think it is. You know, you, you are not there for an investor to write a check on the spot. It's not going to happen. It might have happened back in 1999 and 2000 in the heyday of the dot-com stuff, but it does not happen today. You want to do due diligence. They want to get to know you. So if you're trying to go for the close, you're missing your mark. You won't have the time to effectively do it. There's certain ways that you finesse your investor presentation where you get them to want to spend more time with you and to start the courtship off. That's what you're doing. And the second thing, and what you know, this is where the elevator pitch comes in, is so important. You want them to be talking about what you're doing when they walk away. Do you want to be memorable? And you want them to be talking about it when they go off and they go, you know what? I saw a company. They're playing golf. They're at the rotary. They're sitting having lunch or cooking out or by the pool or wherever they are. They say to their person next to them, when the topic comes up, you know, I saw a company that's in that space. It was really quite interesting. And you, you want them, you want the investor to be talking to their circle of friends about you, whether they're, they think they're going to invest or not, because when one of those friends is interested, then they will become, they'll follow on and tag on, and guess what? You just expanded your sales funnel, your capital funnel. So that's what you've got to be able to do on that. The part and parcel of that is pitching investors is the first step is that elevator pitch. And we'll be coming back to that through the course of the workshop to make sure you get your elevator pitch down well. And then effectively selling your equity. When you get into selling your equity, part of what you're having to cover when you do that is what is the structure of the offering, what is the valuation of um, that offering, what is the valuation of that company? What's the structure of it? Because I've seen great deals that investors like never go anywhere because the offering wasn't structured properly. And this is, again, where the ego gets in the way. There's a, a, a pretty compelling little company here in town that's a startup. They, they got a bunch of money out of the SBIR, and they are convinced that that sets their valuation, and it does not set their valuation. Because just because the government thought that this, there was a good idea and that there might be a need in the marketplace does not mean that you have the ability to execute and get to market. You don't have a track record of doing it. You haven't built a business model. You don't have a business that's a going concern. You don't have a valuation that is, is a multiple of the SBIR money. It just, it just isn't the case. And just because you in your mind say, I don't want to give up 20% of my company, well, you're thinking small, you know, because – um, you've got, if you can give up enough equity to do the things that you need to do and get the right people in place, because you might need to pay some people in equity to do some stuff. You might be able to, you know, 20% of a $100 million company is still a lot of money. And that's what you end up at the end of the day. You know, Bill Gates didn't become a gazillionaire because he had a majority share of his company. You know, it was because he how many shares he had and the value of each one of those shares. And so you have to understand your capital structure, your cap table along the way as you're building it and how you're building value as you go along. And then you, and then you structure it so that it's so compelling to those investors that they can't resist it. They just go, you know what? I believe that this product's going to do something. I believe this, this entrepreneur has got the fundamentals to be successful. And I don't see how I can't make money at it. Because it's worth the risk because I'm starting out at 25 cents or a dollar a share 
and later on when they go public, you know, or they get bought, and worst case scenario, will be bought at four or five dollars a share. I've made four or five times my money or more. So you have to understand that. And so part of effectively selling your equity of your company is selling the value of that because it is always a point of conversation when investors talk amongst themselves is what's the value. That's probably the best value move at our last event when they were doing the investor-only section. And some of the companies were like, that was one of the best values I've ever seen. You know, it was one of the best values. That's a good deal. They'll just, they'll buy, you can resist a good deal, you know. (laughs) So they're just going to, they're going to, that's a big part of it, just figuring it out. And when you're at, when you're at a seed stage or when you're at a, a first round of angel money, we're going to go raise another round of money. There's a certain way that you can do that that will value as a company and put it all, one of the big, the, one of our big success stories, Tigo, they did just that. And even the, the local company, Chain Reaction E-Commerce here in Atlanta, in both cases, we did convertible notes into a strategic investment round. And so valuation was set by that strategic investor. Our investors, our guys put significant amount of money into those companies, and then they converted into a bigger round at the then valuation. Now, these guys structured it where they had some, some additional sweeteners to the pie. They also had some terms relative to anti-dilution in there, and they also had some different things, <clears throat> which brings me to how to structure your offering, the legal side of raising capital, the differences between an offering memorandum, subscription agreement, a private placement memorandum. When do you need to have a private placement memorandum, depending on your capital raise? That'll be covered as part of this. To wrap up here, we're going to be covering crafting and perfecting your elevator pitch, understanding the types of investors and their role at different stages of a company's development, the secret role of the business plan and the four questions that must be answered to garner investor interest, the capital funnel, what it is, why it is important, and how to make it work for you. Pitching investors, the structure of a good investor pitch, and the real goal of any investor presentation, effectively selling your equity. That kind of goes to the capital funnel of, of understanding the sales process of selling your equity and being prepared for selling your equity. And then how to structure your offering and the legal side of raising capital. We're even getting into a full investor relations program that we conduct for folks. So a great opportunity. I want to encourage folks to go ahead and get in. I hope you've enjoyed this show because you're listening in and getting a a tidbit of of sort of a scratch of the scratch, the tip of the iceberg of all the great information that's going to be covered in the workshop that we have. So this is Karen Ramsey, Compassionate Capitalist, and this will conclude the art of raising capital. Please get signed up and let's get things rolling so we can help you be successful in doing what you need to do to raise the capital and take your business to the next level because we want to see your innovation in the market, solving a problem, helping our economy grow because your business, your passion, your dream Your vision needs to come true, and you've got to master raising capital to be able to do that. And so thank you very much for tuning in. This is Karen Rands, the Compassionate Capitalist, uh, saying have a great weekend and onward and upward. See you soon.